Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. You have your Bibles, if you will join me in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 1. I'm going to be reading this morning now the New Living Translation. We're going to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about temptation this morning. Talk about our enemy. Matthew chapter 6, before you get to Matthew 4, reminds us in verse 13. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. How is that rescue? How is it possible? Is it possible? That's what we're going to answer today. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted, and he was very hungry. During the time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to a holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, Jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so that you will not even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give you all this, he said, if you will just kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil went away and angels came and they took care of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 5, about our enemy, describing him, says this, that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, so resist him. We say stuff all the time, Satan did this, Satan did that, the enemy is at work. Which leads me to ask the question, to ponder it, to reflect on it, to consider it. What can the enemy actually do? So two weeks ago, we lost power. Immediately, someone came to me and said, it's the enemy. He's at work. The enemy, he can test us. He can tempt us. 
But is the enemy behind the divorce? Is the enemy the one that causes you to fall, to fail to temptation? Is it the enemy's voice when the dad says to his family, I will never drink again? But he hears the voice from the toolbox because there he knows there's a pint of, of, of liquor and it's calling his name? Does the enemy cause you to, to fudge the numbers on an expense report so that you can pay your own personal bills? Does the enemy cause you to to shift the numbers just a little bit so that you will come out better on your taxes? Is it the enemy's fault when she responds back to the text because her husband has been absent, he's been working so hard, and there's that guy at the gym that has been showing her so much attention. So he reaches out and she responds. Is that the enemy? Did he cause the storm? The sickness? What is he capable of? If you think of Christianity as a home, when you walk in the living room, there's, there's Christiology. And, and then there's a, there's a bedroom, soteriology, and then ecclesiology, and then eschatology. And these are all rooms that we are familiar with and that we talk about pretty frequently, even if we don't use their, their specific name. But then off in the corner, there's a room, and it's demonology, or what we refer to in the church as spiritual warfare. And we don't talk about it. A lot. And someone recently said, I think the reason we don't talk about it a lot is because the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about it, which my response was, the Bible actually says a lot about it. It actually talks about spiritual warfare more than it does marriage itself. So why don't we talk about it? There's several types of people in the room. One of those individuals, they... Right now, you are walking in the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You have conquered all the temptations that are before you. And then there's some people in the room that you're in the middle of a battle right now. The temptation, you, you've swore I'd never do it again or I won't fall to that again. But you have and you are. You're in the battle. And then there are other individuals, there's a third camp, and, and you don't ever think about this. You're like, don't, let's not talk about it. It's weird. Let's just not discuss it. I believe that there has to be a balance somewhere. Because sometimes people don't want to give any credit to the enemy. He's not behind anything. There's no boogeyman. And then there's some people who want to blame the enemy for everything. They give him far more power, far more authority, far more press conference than he deserves. 
So what is that balance? I think there are five main things that the enemy uses to hinder our relationship with God. The first is that of despair. The second is that of disunity. I think that the enemy will use deception to hinder our relationship with God. I think that the enemy will use disease, sickness, to question our faith, to hinder our relationship with God. I believe that he will use death. I know that he will. I've seen it. If God's good, how could he allow this? But I think there is a sixth thing that we really don't talk about a whole lot. And this is the primary thing that I believe that the enemy uses to hinder our relationship with God, and that is our desires, our wants. What we believe and convince ourselves we deserve. What we try to justify by saying, I need that. James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15 says this, And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God's tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. You see, temptation comes from our own desires. And they entice us, and they drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Ephesians chapter 6 reminds us in verse 12, if you've ever wondered, is, is there an enemy? Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood. So stop fighting him. Stop fighting her. But instead, we are fighting against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And how does he do battle? What is his strategy? He recognizes that of our desires. And then scripture says he tempts us. So what is temptation? Temptation is just a proposition not to trust God. In other words, we know through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, through discernment, through revealing truth, holiness, righteousness, our next steps, we know what God's word says is right, true, wise, and holy, but then we allow an outside source. Maybe it's culture, maybe it's the media, maybe it's unwise godly counsel. They offer an, an alternative to what God's word, it contradicts his word. It contradicts his voice. And we believe either we're the exception or we believe that that instruction or that guidance or that commandment, it is, it is dated, it is not applicable to us and to our situation and to this culture. So we say yes to the voice that contradicts that of the voice of God and the Holy Spirit. That is temptation. Instead of trusting God's word, we trust God help us, our feelings, we trust our thoughts, our desires. 
our friends, but not God. So what does temptation look like? Let's get really practical here. What does temptation look like for you, for me? Maybe for you, certainly for me at times, it's fear. And how does the enemy lie in regard to fear? The enemy will convince us that that you're all alone. That God's not in this. That he's not with you. That his power is limited to bring an antidote or a healthy or positive solution. The enemy will convince you that God is indifferent about your storm, about your struggle. (laughs) You ever notice that in the American church today, we don't sin anymore, we just struggle, everything's a struggle? So can we just have an honest conversation? It's, it's sin. Someone's going to talk that way today. It's, it's just sin. And we believe that, that God is not capable of giving us victory in our sin, in our sin patterns. We believe that we are defined by the worst mistake that we have ever made or that has been done to us. So maybe it's not fear for you. Maybe it's laziness or apathy What does the enemy tell us? You deserve a break. You're working so hard. No one understands you. No one appreciates what you bring to the table, how you contribute. No one sees you. No one hears you. Maybe for you, it's it's prejudice. People who don't agree with you, they're fools people who sit on the other side of the political aisle, maybe people who who don't think like you, look like you, act like you, you know what they are? Idiots. Maybe for you it's cynicism, and I know, I know, you're not critical, you're just a realist. You say what needs to be said when, when no one has the audacity or the courage to actually say it, that's what you'll do. Let me give you a little bit of advice. Even if it's constructive, if you criticize without the offer of being a part of the solution, you're a cynic, you're a critic. If you talk about people or situations where the people who have no control to do anything about it, when they're not present, you're a cynic. You're a critic. So if you offer criticism, show up, be present, do something about it. Maybe for you it's materialism, the lie is, if I can just get this, I'll be happy. I need this. If I get this, I'll never ask for anything else again. You have so many Amazon boxes showing up on your doorstep. It's like freaking Christmas every day. You don't even know what you ordered. It's a surprise to you. You're like, I don't even remember ordering this. This is awesome. You may have a problem with materialism. Don't, do not elbow her or him. 
don't do it. That's not going to go well for you. Maybe it's alcoholism or maybe it's drugs or maybe it's some other form of escapism. I need a drink. I need a glass of wine. I need something to just simply take the edge off. So instead of relying on God, we substitute, we, we, we cope. Maybe it's isolation. There is no hope. There's despair or anxiety driven and ridden. Maybe for you it's anger because either I'm a victim, this was done to me, or you just have something past trauma that you have refused to deal with. So it manifests itself today and just outburst and outrage. At the end of Matthew's gospel, chapter three, Jesus is baptized. And John, his cousin, he dips Christ in the, in, the, in the river and he brings him up. And scripture says that like a dove falling, the spirit of God fell on him. And a voice fell down and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And then the same spirit. Chapter four. And then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What? Why? How could this be? Sometimes your greatest temptations, and you need to hear this, sometimes your greatest temptations will come after mountaintop experiences. Most of the time, when you are on that mountain and you are celebrating and everything is up and to the right and everything is great and could not be better, on the horizon, the storm is brewing. And soon... There will be a valley. There will be a wilderness. But take hold of hope because the same God that is the God on the mountain is the same God that will meet you in the valley, in the wilderness. So we see the Spirit leading Jesus for three primary reasons into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The first is to show that he was tempted, and yet he was without sin, meaning that he recognized the strategies of the enemy, but he did not fall victim to the strategies of the, empty, of the enemy. Two is to give you hope, to give me hope, that we do not have to continue to be a slave to our desires, to our flesh, to our wants, to our sin. There is hope. And the third reason is to show us how to resist that temptation. He's going to show us by example how to resist the temptation and the schemes of the enemy. So let's pick up in verse 2. For 40 days, 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, notice that the enemy, he will always have and cause you to begin to doubt your identity. Do you even believe? Do you have the spirit living in you? 
Are you accepted? Are you redeemed? Are you loved? Are you valued? Tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, no, no. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see, what we see is when tempted with his wants, Jesus was hungry. He went 40 days without food. If I go 40 minutes without, if I miss breakfast, I am in a mood, y'all. 40 days, it was a want. It was a desire. So the enemy, I mean, it's, it's not a bad temptation, is it? It's a want. It's a legitimate need. And if Jesus can turn water from wine to wine, surely he can make these stones bread. And I want you to notice that Jesus, in response, he, he quotes scripture. He quotes, he responds by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. And, and it's a beautiful parallel because Israel is wandering in the desert for 40 years. Jesus for 40 days. And Israel is asking, where's the bread to eat? So God provides manna. He meets their needs. And Jesus is saying, I trust God. He will meet my needs. I was taught for so long that this was all about scriptural memorization. And when you're tempted, our response should be to quote scripture back. And that should be. That's a great tactic. That's a great strategy. But there's something more that's happening here. See, Jesus just isn't simply reciting scripture. What Jesus, his example for us is that he knows he knows the voice and the will of God. There's a difference. Jesus has recognized the voice of the enemy. In contrast, he has also recognized the voice of God. The question that we have this morning is, are you so familiar because of an intimate relationship with Christ Jesus that you recognize you recognize the voice of God in every circumstance, in every situation. And because of that, you prayerfully seek his desire and his will when you make decisions. Jesus, he recognizes this. It's important also to note that there is a difference because Jesus, I believe that he is actually doing battle with Satan himself. You will not, most likely, Scripture tells us in Revelation chapter 12 that a third of the angelic beings, they fell and they joined Satan's army. There is a difference, and that's what we usually have to deal with, demonic oppression or demonic possession, demons. Now, if you are a believer in Christ and you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you cannot be possessed by demonic uh, beings. But you can be oppressed meaning that they can agitate you, they can tempt you, they can aggravate you externally. So much of what we have to deal with is not possession. At times, we will with unbelievers. But much of what we have to deal with is that of oppression. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 says this, that Satan masquerades like an angel of light, meaning that most of his desires and temptations, they seem not that bad. In times, we will convince ourselves that they are good, but it's always important. Are we using this to substitute what only God can provide? If I buy this truck, am I buying it with the intent that it is going to satisfy me, that it is going to fulfill me, that it is going to produce joy in me? If that is why you are buying that truck, then that is the wrong reason. Because only Christ Jesus can bring contentment, joy, satisfaction in you and to you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says, do not, let, do not let the world or the things of the world, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not in the Father, but it is in the world. If you get nothing else, get this. If I told you that there was a lion, he escaped from the zoo. He had moved from Randolph County to Davidson County. That was his last whereabouts. And word on the street, and I have it under good authority, that that lion, he's going to kill you. I mean, he he has said it. He's got a picture of you. He knows what you look like, and he is going to destroy you. But don't fear. There's only three ways that he's going to kill you. One of three ways that he's going to kill you. When you leave here, either he's going to be on the roof, and he's going to jump down, and he's gonna tear your head off. Or he's gonna be hiding underneath your car. And when you approach, he's gonna take that big old paw and he's gonna knock your feet out from under you and he's gonna devour you. Or he's gonna be hiding in the back seat of your car. If you knew one of those three ways that lion was attempting to take your life. When you walk out of here, everything changes for you, right? You live differently. When you walk out that door, what are you going to do? <laughs> hey, honey, you go out first, you know. <laughs> See if it's raining. You get outside, and he didn't, he didn't pounce. So you're approaching the car, and what are you going to do? Not under the car. So what are you going to do then? Catching a ride with a friend, right? <laughs> you ain't getting in that car because you know what? You know that joker's in the car. If you're a bass fisherman and you're out on the, you're out on the lake and, and you, put, you put a purple worm on there and you're casting it out of there, you're not getting any bites. What are you going to do? You're going to cast it a few times. And then if, if, if you don't get a bite, you're going to take the worm off and you're going, you're going to put a top water plug on there. Popper. You're going to throw it out of there. 
you don't catch anything, what are you going to do? You're going to put a spinner on there. You're going to throw it out there or buzz bait, and you're just going to until you find out what they're biting. That's what the enemy does. And the strategy of the enemy, I mean, it's laid out here. This is how he tempts you. This is how he tempts me. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So the lust of the flesh speaks of any evil desires stirred by our physical, our emotional needs, particularly the desires for pleasure. The lust of the eyes speaks of any evil desires stirred by the things that we see and that we covet, including desires for passion or for possessions. And then the pride of life speaks of any evil desires motivated by pride, power, prestige, or popularity. So when you are tempted, how will you respond? If you can recognize, oh, okay, I see what he's doing here. It's my eyes. I see what he's doing here. It's, it's, It's my flesh. It's my desire. If you can recognize what the lure is that the enemy is enticing you with, if you can say, I see what you're doing, and I will not fall victim to it. So how do we do this? Simply put, we have to trust the sovereignty and the word of God. We have to believe that what God says is right, true, wise, and holy really is right, true, wise, and holy. I know that for so many of us, we are in this battle And maybe it's a battle with materialism. Maybe it's a battle with addiction. Maybe it's a battle with pornography. Maybe it's a a battle with pride or greed or anger or self-deception. So what do we do? Because we've, we've been fighting this battle for so long. We have even allowed the battles that we fight or the sins that we succumb to to define us. I'm the adulterer, I'm the divorcee, I'm the, I'm the addict, I'm the liar. We've allowed it to define us. So what do we do when we recognize this is the temptation, this is the strategy of the enemy, how do we combat it? Scripture tells us we believe and we trust in Christ and Christ alone. So we proclaim his promises We recognize his plan. We surround ourselves with godly counsel and accountability. We stop believing the lies of the enemy. In other words, we go to God with a desire to ruthlessly eliminate anything that is in us that is not of him. So let's do that. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. God, we have spent some time 
this morning recognizing that there is an enemy. And the enemy's desire is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And Father, we also recognize this morning that there is an antidote. There's a solution. There's hope. And it's Christ Jesus who says, I have come to give you life, the abundant life, a life that is free from guilt, from shame, from condemnation. So God, in this moment, we examine our hearts, we examine our lives, and we ask the question, God, is there anything in me that is not of you? God, may we see it. Right now, will you reveal it? And Father, because this is not of you, may we grieve it, may we lament it. Father, may it break our heart the way that it breaks your heart. Why? Not because you're disappointed in us, but because you only want what's best. You do not want us to be held captive to the enemy's strategies or tactics, but instead you want us to experience freedom. So Father, may we confess it now. Confess it now. Maybe it's pride, maybe it's greed, maybe it's lust, maybe it's selfishness, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's anger. May we confess it. And Father, may we repent of it. May we turn from it. Father, we recognize that it is by your power and your power alone that this is possible. But God, if the grave, if the tomb is empty, then anything is possible. So we pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, amen. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.